Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who had several wives but seemed lovable for some reason. It's Henry VIII. Uh, Palmer. I'm sorry. It's Henry VIII. No, it's Palmer. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Hey, it's good. I'm, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, well, you know, it takes a lot of hard work beheading wives. It sure does. Um, I think he sends one of them into outer space at one point too. So, you know, that's the uh, that's the um, the director's cut. Oh, sure, yeah, very popular. Nineteen thirty three director's cuts, very very yeah. popular. Okay, uh, I can't wait till we get to that movie because there's some weird stuff. <laughs> Hashtag release the private life of Henry the Eighth cut. <laughs> I would get that going. Okay. See if anybody, see if anybody no. tags on. No, probably not. <laughs> we, with good reason, they really shouldn't. Because you're lucky if the print is even around anymore. Never mind a cut of the print. Um, anyway, Palmer, we are here to discuss the 1934 Best Picture Oscar nominees for the 1934 Academy Awards. They are as follows: The Private Life of Henry VIII. I am a fugitive from a chain gang. A Farewell to Arms, 42nd Street, Smiling Through, She Done Him Wrong, State Fair, Little Women, Lady for a Day, and Cavalcade. Palmer. You went in reverse order. Of reverse order of what? Of the of what it shows on Google, which is what you normally go by. I went in reverse order? Really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. You went in reverse order except for the winner of Best Picture, which you named last. Yes, that is correct. So it is the last one you said. <laughs> I forgot already. Ah, uh, crap. Um, the cavalcade. Cavalcade there we go. is correct. It, it is cavalcade. I. Fa- it's funny that you noticed that because I didn't. I said to myself, "He's not going to know what won Best Picture in 1934 out of these movies." I only know because uh, it was the studio's first win for Best Picture. So it was noted as I was looking up fun facts. Oh, I'm like, sure. oh, okay, because yeah, I never would have guessed that one. Yeah, I didn't think you would. So um, <laughs> let's start at the very beginning, and uh, which is a very good place to start. We're going to start with the private life of Henry the Eighth, directed by Alexander Corda, written by Lajos Biro and Arthur Wimperis, starring Charles Lawton, Robert Donat, Franklin Dillall, Merle Oberon, and Binny Barnes. Nominated for Best Picture, this one Best Actor for Charles Lawton. Surprised, I am not. Charles Charles Lawton won an Oscar. I'm so surprised. Um, and it's a Henry VIII. Yeah, and it's a historical epic of sorts. Yes, the, so um, I'm so surprised. Uh, so anyway, the the plot is about King Henry VIII, as you as you know him, who marries uh, five more times after his divorce from his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. And so this movie really isn't about the politics of Henry VIII. It, it, it's really more just about his relationship with every single one of his wives and why he um, divorces or kills or they die of their own causes, every single or every single one of them. Um, it is on YouTube for free. 
And so um, this is one that I I recommend. I re- I enjoyed this movie probably because of Charles Lawton. Truthfully, I in, it was a really good portrayal. It was he was he was it, he was funny and sinister yeah. and terrible and lovely like all at the same time. Yeah, the movie def- definitely took a more lighthearted approach and didn't like suffer under the weight of seriousness. So the Tudors, this I is feel, not. Yes. Yeah, like that. I feel like um, a Man for All Seasons did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even like some of the way. Although I will say some of the way the wives are written are a little weird. Like, so we pick up the story like after the divorce. Of, like of he's Catherine already of Aragon, been divorced right. and he's about to behead Anne Boleyn. That's correct. So we're already like two wives deep. That's right. I think maybe and, because most people are at least familiar with Anne Boleyn, so and they know that she was the mistress, right? The for the first one at least, and the so other Boleyn girl, the other right, maybe. I mean, that wasn't around until much later, but right. Um, but I think generally speaking, like you at least you know a lot of people know that Henry VIII had a lot of wives. It's one of his, you know, his yes. character traits, and yep. and even if you don't and know he had the that catchy uh, song. Yes, his Henry the Eighth. I am. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, I guess you can see, like, because his wife to Catherine, pretty much up until Anne Boleyn, is pretty uneventful. So I can understand skipping to the end of Anne and then going from there. Right, but Anne is just like so cavalier about just about being beheaded. She sure. So is the crowd. <laughs> She's just, you know, they're doing her hair up, they're doing her makeup, and she's like, will this hair hold once, you know, the blade goes through my neck? And they're like, oh, yes, it's it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And then that guy, that, like, peasant guy has a conversation with his wife where, right, was that the same, this is the same movie, right, where they watch her yeah. get beheaded and she gets mad at him for being like, oh, she was a she was so pretty. And she's like, well, yeah. you're not sleeping on, in the bed tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh so yeah, he so he kills he kills Anne Boleyn. Then the next one that actually has the heir mm-hmm. that actually has the the prince dies during childbirth. That's correct. And then he marries another one mm-hmm. who I believe he also beheads? Question mark. Yeah, I can't. I it I get them mixed up because a few of them have the same name. So uh, they really do. Yeah, so that that's where it gets that's and where I it gets a little believe tricky. This is just because like. Prince Henry VIII, much like me, it was like I'm through learning names. Yeah. Like every wife I have now is going to be named Beth. When you say every wife I have now, you're referring to yourself as Henry, right? Not not yes, you, right. Palmer. Okay, no. just checking. You know, yeah, no. you could have been revealing something to the audience and myself that I was not familiar <laughs> with. Yeah, all of my but... wife's names are Beth. Please and it thank you. It just makes things so much easier. It's like George Foreman naming all of his kids George. Yes, that's right. This is George yeah. the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. Yeah, it's but better than Charles Riddle. Lawton, you know, Charles Lawton is really good. Um, yeah, I think the, the rest is fairly forgettable. If that, it, except it, for that one wife that kind of sticks around. Um, like the one he actually loved that cheated on him. Oh, sure. Yes. Um yeah. Yeah. Um you mean yeah. the the last one. Um right? That's the that's the last um No. 
because he marries once more when he's old because That's his right. exiled wife is like, "Hey, I want you to set you, I want to set you up with this woman." That's right. That's correct. Uh, yeah, it gets all it gets all lost. But anyway, I don't really remember because I, I watched these movies way before we recorded this episode, so it's a little fuzzy now. But I enjoyed this episode. I thought the costumes were good and the sets were great. Actually, I've been to um, I've been to England and the you know some of the you know the palaces and whatever else, and it's like it's spot on. So I, I was very imp- – even like the, the tapestries and all that stuff was, was really authentic looking. So I enjoyed that. Did you, did you go to the Tower of London and sit where Anne Boleyn sat? I went to the Tower of London. Unless she happened to sit on a wall or by one of the trees, I did not sit where she sat. She might have. I mean it's very possible. I mean a lot – I mean it, yeah, I, pro- I probably walked in the footsteps of a lot of people that are fairly yeah. famous or very It would have been famous. nice if they would have put out like a placard. Yeah, and Bolin's like, head rolled here. Right. Well, yeah. you know, like Siemen, Siemens Bethel in New Bedford has a little placard of where Herman Melville sat. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that it could have been there, but when you go to the Tower of London, you're really going to see the crown jewels and all of the like that's the that's their main exhibit when you go. So why is that there? That's a prison. I do, honestly I don't know cuz it's secure. I don't, I don't they don't know where else to put them. Look. As someone who teaches English history, you're really failing in answering my question. I teach literature, which is yeah. not the same as English history. <laughs> um but I do teach some English UK history because of the nature of of teaching literature, but it doesn't cover why the crown jewels are in the Tower of London. Well, it should. It shouldn't. But let's move on. Um, do you have any fun, <laughs> Do you have any fun facts? Yes, because of the memorable banquet scene, Charles Lawton, for many years thereafter, was given a free roasted chicken without utensils by restaurant owners who thought it was a good joke. That's great. I mean, roasted. <laughs> I mean, a free roasted chicken really isn't anything to complain about. No, not at all. Set designer Vincent Corda spoke no English whatsoever, and the film's British crew spoke no Hungarian. So all of the film sets were constructed via sign language between Corda and the crew. Wow, that makes it even more impressive from from what we were looking at. That's very cool. Yeah. Had the Best Supporting Actor and Actress categories been established by 1933... It is all but assured that Elsa Lancaster would have copped the award for her riotous, eccentric portrayal of Anne of Cleves. But the supporting Oscars were not initiated until 1936. Hmm. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a whole kit and caboodle, right? That was three? Yep. Yeah, cool. All right. Next up on the list, I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, directed by... I knew it. I know. Mervyn Leroy is director, written by Robert E. Burns, Howard J. Green, Brown, Holmes, and Sheridan Gibney. Star- a lot of colors in those names. Sure are. <laughs> Burns, Green, Brown, Gibney. So many colors. Yep. Um, I guess you could count Sherry if you really wanted to get down to it. <laughs> um, starring Paul Mundy, Glenda Farrell, Preston Foster, and Helen Vizen. Nominated for Best Picture... Actor for Mooney and Sound, this movie won no awards. 
That sounds about right. Yeah, doesn't it, though? Uh, it's about wrongly convicted James Allen serves in the intolerable conditions of a southern chain gang, which later comes back to haunt him. Um, this movie's on, I think it's on AFI's top 400 movies of all time list. But, you know, at the to- at the point where you reach, like, over 100, why are you counting anymore? Yeah. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm number 399, greatest movie of all time. I mean, statistically... That's still really good for how many movies there are out right. there in the world. But, but even then, like, if you're doing a list, there are certain numbers. Like, obviously, top 10, top 25, top 50, top 100, 150, 200. That's it. You go to 250 max. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Top 400. Because if you have to say it's in the top 400, that means that it's somewhere between 300 and 400. Because otherwise yeah. you would say it's they're also, in the top 300. Yeah, it's also just an arbitrary number. Like, maybe if you went to top 500 or top 1,000, you know, it's just... Yeah, that's an excellent point. 400 is There's an arbitrary... There's social norms that this list is not adhering to, and it upsets me. I'm I'm with you. I'm total. I'm totally with you. Um, but like I said... That being said, I really enjoyed this movie. Did you? Like, oh, good. A, yeah, it was. Uh, it was a really good movie based on a true story. Oh, I didn't know that. I enjoyed yes, it a little uh, bit more now. Based on a true story written by the person it actually happened to oh. so I'm under like, the cover of darkness. Gotcha. Okay. I Yeah. I just thought it was kind of dull. I didn't think it was bad. It was just kind of mm-hmm. it was I it's more it's more about the plot itself like I ha- I had it just generally like Unless it's The Fugitive, I have a hard time connecting to Fugitive films. Right. I mean, this guy – but this guy, like, was on the lam more than, like, Jean Valjean. Yeah, he sure was. Actually, maybe it's not – maybe I do like Fugitive films because I like yeah. Les Mis. You're, I like The really Fugitive. I like, Counting, I like Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. Hmm. You really – you have a soft spot for people breaking out of prison. I do. Which really worries me. Yeah, interesting. Maybe I don't like chain gang films. Um, this is very specific. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean – Cool we Hand should, Luke. We saw one other one. Uh, cool Hand Luke. Um, no, we haven't seen the one, one. I know. But, uh, I, well, I've seen it. But the one with Sidney Poitier is the one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I liked yep. that movie. Ah well. Anyway, this movie was dull, but um, I it was You're it was dull. very whatever to me. But Mooney was good. That so Mooney was good. Um, and we've known him from. Um, uh, he was in the the Doctor Zola. The guy, he was in Doctor Zola. No, uh, Louis Pasteur. I was gonna say yeah, Louis Pasteur. The movie that had the. I think he was uh, in Armin. I think he was in the the Zola movie too. I believe so. It was one of those movies that had, like, the world's, like, most sinister poster, and I was like, this movie doesn't fit this poster at all. That's The Life, of, a, that was... the life of Emile Zola, the one with him, yeah. the the purple one. Yep. This the one? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yep. So, he was really good in it, you're right. Uh, I did find it interesting, because it, he, he, he's a soldier, right? He's coming back from the war, and he has, and he's kind of, like, on the outs, he doesn't. He's kind of a vagabond, mm-hmm. and um, you know, through fault of his own, is picked up by the police for a crime that he did commit. Yes. Um, got sentenced to the chain gang, which 
was a horrible, a horrible way to, uh, a horrible conditions for prisoners back then. Mm-hmm. And I get the I get the idea of what it's supposed to do, but like it's just. It's one of those things in practicality. It's just not a good idea. Yeah, I agree. Um, he was also in The Good Earth, which we also watched. Oh, nice. Yeah. So he escapes, and he becomes a he becomes an affluent businessman in Chicago. Mm-hmm. That is when I was like, all right, now this this movie's kind of losing me a bit. Mm. Um, but but it kind of picks up again after that. So. I would say, aside from the middle, which can dra- doesn't necessarily drag on a bit. I just didn't care about it as much. Like, all right, he escaped. That's what I was, you know, that's what I was here for because that's the action of the movie. And now it's him trying to live a life while always looking over his shoulder, hoping that you know the police don't figure out who he is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And and spoiler, I won't spoil it. They do. Oh, I wasn't going to spoil it. Way to go. <laughs> well. All of the all of the fun facts are probably going to spoil it, oh, so good. it's fine. Okay, so let's. Um, let's do... It's also not a movie that you like. It's you know, it's not a movie that I think you're really invested in to watch how it turns out. You just want to you want to see the escape. Yeah, I I'd, I'd say that's true. The escape was well done. Both of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, indeed. Oh, spoilers again. <laughs> um, tell me, tell me some fun facts about this movie. Okay, it is rumored that the final fade came as an accident. Director Marvin Leroy had planned to go had planned to go to a blackout after the final line. During rehearsals, a light blew taking the fuse with it. The the resulted in a slow fade starting just before the final line and was so powerful that Leroy decided to shoot the film exactly that way. However, some sources depict that this is a manufactured myth after the fact as the scene is described exactly this way with the fade in the original shooting script. Wow. Paul Mooney refused a double for the rock quarry scenes. The intense sun was so severe that the that nearly the entire company suffered from eye strain, blisters, and sunburn. Wow, that is really intense. Yeah. The film was based on the true story of Robert E. Burns. It sticks basically to the same to the facts for except for two instances. Question did you say Bur- Boo Earns? I did. Or Burns. Boo Earns. Boo Earns. Okay, great. Burns actually did steal the $5.29 in order to eat, and he finally succeeded in invading the Georgia legal system with the help of three New Jersey governors. Burns actually slipped into Hollywood and worked for a few weeks on the film, but ultimately the stress and risk were too much, and he fled back to the safety of New Jersey. The book and film helped bring about the collapse of the brutal chain gang system in Georgia. Warner Brothers took a big chance on the film, as social commentary was not normally done in Hollywood pictures. However, this film was a critical and financial success, helped establish Warner's as the studio with a social conscience. It also helped save the financially ailing company. Even though Georgia was never specifically named in the film, numerous lawsuits were filed against the studio, the film was banned in Georgia, and the studio's head and the director were told that should they ever find themselves in Georgia, they would be treated to a dose of the social evil they so roundly denounced. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Yes. That's 
good for good for Warner Brothers at that time. I mean, good for them in that it was successful, but they took right. a, they took a chance on an important film. Knowing that, I can understand why it gets that top four hundred. You know, like as as a matter of film history, you know, it's you know it's importance to cultural history, American history, civil history, you know, all that. So rock history, rock geology history. Yeah, yeah, so cool, very good. That was a, that's that that might be that might be in your top fun facts of all time. I, I really liked that. It might be in the top four hundred fun facts. Yes, right. you're right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, a Farewell to Arms, Goodbye Arms, directed by Frank Borzage, written by Benjamin Glazer, Oliver H.P. Garrett, based on the play by Lawrence Stallings, which is based on the book by Ernest Hemingway, which is based on some... Which is, which rum- is based on the cave drawings by... <laughs> by the Lascaux cave people. No, uh, which is based on some of Ernest Hemingway's real-life experiences. <laughs> Uh, while serving in Italy during World War One, starring Helen Hayes, Gary Cooper, uh, Gary Cooper, and Adolf Menu, uh, nominated for Best Picture and Art Direction, this movie won Best Cinematography and Sound. The story is about an American ambulance driver and an English nurse who fall in love in Italy during World War One. Um, I thought this was better than the last time we watched a movie based on an Ernest Hemingway novel. I enjoyed this yes. more. I enjoyed A Farewell to Arms more than The Sun Also Rises. That was the one we watched, right? No, For Whom the Bell Tolls. I always get, I get, I get the his three main, like his three most famous stories mixed up. Farewell to Arms is World War One Italy. Um, For Whom the Bell Tolls is um, Spanish Civil War, uh, and then what was it? The Sun Also Rises is bullfighting. Amongst other things. I, I get them mixed up. Anyway, I enjoyed this one. I thought the cinematography was excellent. Especially that scene with Gary Cooper and the woman with her legs where he's talking about her feet. Because it plays right into him meeting Helen Hayes. And he doesn't, like, he thinks it's the same person because he only knew her legs and her feet. Like, I thought all that stuff was really well choreographed and shot. Um, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. I, I bought their... I bought their romance and their kind of tug of war relationship because of the war. Um, ah, get it? Yeah, <laughs> tug of World War One, and um, but it was fine. I don't think it was like, like I said, I think the cinematography was good, but I could probably, I could probably leave a lot of the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think? It definitely wasn't as bad as uh, for whom the bell tolls. Well, the makeup was certainly How- better. <laughs> Well, yes. Well, I mean, this was also black and white. Mm -hmm. So I will say, though, watching so many war movies in such a succession, I care very little about World War I. Most people do. I always think of that Friends joke where Joey's going off to be in a movie about World War I with Gary Oldman and Monica, Rachel, and Phoebe are like, who did we fight in World War One? And they're like, Mexico? And Phoebe's like, yes, very good. <laughs> <laughs> because Germany always seems like a cop-out. You're like, no, it can't be Germany twice. That's that's insane. Like, why, why would Germany be that stupid? Why? Why? 
It was I also mean, it was also the Ottoman Empire, and you know there was other things, and then but then it's confusing because Japan was part of the Allies in World War One, but then they were part of the Axis in World War Two. It's very hush hush, very confusing. It really is, and just the fact like how the how the war comes about, pretty much not even through like not even through like need like World War Two did. But through just a bunch of geopolitical agreements. That and the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. No, 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 that's what I'm saying. Is like That's what sparks it. But when that happened, you could have easily contained that to just two countries at that point. The country that killed him and the country that he was from. But because of all the different alliances at the time, mm-hmm. it essentially meant like when this one declared war on this one... You know, then this one had to also declare war that's automatically, right. which meant this one had to. You know, that's right. That was. I mean, that's basically that the same. Re- it's basically the same reason that World War Two happened. That's like any basically any war now. Like you start, you declare war on somebody. But now you. But see, you, at least with, at least with World War Two, there's more of a commonality to to be against Germany because you're what you're against Germany, Italy, and Japan mm-hmm. in World War Two. Yep. So it isn't – you have a little bit more fight in that one than I think you do in, in World War One. I. I think there's more cause for other countries, instead of just, like, living up to their agreements, for other countries to get involved. I see. I see what you mean. But truthfully, I can't um, – because I am not a historian, I can't speak – I can't speak totally about World War I uh, outside of Downton Abbey. So uh, that's well, my experience, I mean, I and Wonder and Wonder Woman, so. yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and 1918, War Horse. and and what? Yeah. War Horse and War Horse, yeah. Basically, those just those movies. No, I mean I know a little bit yeah. more, but you know, it's just it's it's most when you're a kid, most history classes just gear themselves towards World War Two. You're, they're always like the they're always like, one. yeah, World War One happened, trench warfare. You get it, you know, we won. Okay, move on, and you're like, whoa. You know, it's the important one. It's like because it's it's like the it's like the meat of the story. Like you're up against a supremely evil person. And I don't think you have that necessarily in World War. One. You don't No, It's like you said, it's a little bit just it's more it's more uh, geopolitical than it is like I want to rule the world. Like it's it's right. it's different. So any anyway. that being said, I do like War Horse. So, you mean a farewell? To, you mean you mean of, you mean a farewell to arms? No, warhorse. Oh, just war. Okay. Yeah, just warhorse. Uh, farewell to arms. I feel like I feel like movies in this era are like kind of war movies, but war is just in the periphery. Yeah, and used to drive the story, which is fine. I'm not a huge fan of war movies, but. It's also like you're always talking about this thing and you never see any effect on it. Yeah, I think that we'll, happen- we'll, that's a little different in like Cavalcade. I was going to say we'll get there when we get to Cavalcade because it's um, it does do that. But I think you're you're right to an extent like this. We've seen um, we'll see as it goes on. But like I'm a fugitive from chain gang is about the effect of being a soldier in World War World War One. Um, Farewell to arms. Um there's more in here. Forty second. Forty seconds. Yeah, it's all. It's it's like they they got the fifteen. They got to almost to the fifteen year mark, and they're like, okay, we can talk about World War One now. Let's let's do it. Um, yeah. So, 
yeah, it's like I said, it's fine. Like it's it's fine. It's good. I like the love story. It was a different movie than I was expecting, um, because it really didn't have anything to do with the war. No, it's really set in the backdrop of World War One. Like yeah. it's happening, but it really it would say it's almost like I don't know. I would I, I'd hazard like, to say it's like Pearl Harbor that way. No. No. Because it's... I would say it's essentially an entire movie version of the scene in Wonder Woman where they're in like the deserted town. Oh, and they're dancing, right? That one yep. you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a that's a that's actually a very that's a like it's that's just a solid the entire comparison. movie about that. Yeah, that's a that's a solid comparison. You missed the no man's land sequence before the movie started and we yep. won't and we won't get to battling anybody at the end. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, give me some fun facts about a farewell to arms. Uh, there were no arms that were lost. No, no, very misleading. The failure of the original copyright holder to renew the film's copyright resulted in it falling into public domain, meaning that virtually anybody could duplicate and sell a VHS DVD copy of the film. Therefore, many of the versions of this film available on the market are either severely, and usually badly, Edited and or extremely poor quality, having been duplicated from second or third generation copies of the film. Hmm. That explains the copy I watched. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> you watched it on YouTube, right? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. Ernest Hemingway hated this interpretation of his novel as he felt it was overly romantic. Hey, <laughs> like he's you. <laughs> That's a, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> That didn't stop him, however, from becoming lifelong friends with Gary Cooper, whom he met several years later. In fact, it was Hemingway who insisted that Cooper be cast in the lead of the adaptation for his novel For Whom the Bell Tolls 11 years later. However, the two made a point of never discussing this film. That's really funny. I like that. Um, you know, what's fun about the way that we do the show and, like, we go backwards through each decade, you know, when we skip 10 years and do the next one, is that, like, that fa- if we went forward in time, just year yep. by year or backwards, that fact would have almost it wouldn't have the same impact because we literally just watched that just movie. Just watched, yeah, yeah. That's fun. I'm I'm that I'm is. glad. I'm glad of that. Good fun fact. Um, top four hundred. S- Keep going. <laughs> Censorship problems arose from early versions of the script, which included phrases, which included phases of Catherine's actual childbirth in references to labor pains, gas her groaning and hemorrhaging. After these were removed, the MPPDA approved the script and even issued it a certificate for re-release in 1938 when the censorship rules were more strictly enforced. Still, the film was rejected in British Columbia and in Australia, where Hemingway's book was also banned. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, uh, this year there's going to be a bunch of fun facts uh, attributed to censors. Because that, the census, that that makes the, sense because um, it's just getting it's just getting the ball rolling. It's yeah, it's not in full. Depending upon when the movie is filmed, it's not in full effect yet. So yeah, a couple a couple like of these full effect after this. That's right. A couple of these movies are pre are pre censor films, and you can yeah. you can tell like even just in oh, yeah. just in the dialogue, in the way that. In the, the the relationships between men and women in a lot of the costumes is that they're a little bit some are more revealing than others like yeah I I will say you can tell if you've seen 
if you've seen older movies lately. But if you're just going in with it with a you wouldn't you wouldn't know right because you'd be yeah, used like to mo- this, you'd be used to modern like, censorship right if you're yeah if you're used to modern sensibilities and then you read like this film was censored you're like what why yeah. like <laughs> yeah well that's part of the fun of being a film historian you get to yeah. you see the nitpicky stuff that is why I have a doctorship in film historian you do not have any of those things ah uh, then what is this degree in my background. That is the a Green Lantern poster. <laughs> that is a Green Lantern poster. Yeah. Forty <laughs> Second Street. It is Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. I'll have you know. Yeah. Oh, I'm aware. Don't worry. I can see it. He stares at me every time we record because of quarantine. He judges your opinions. He sure does. Um, but you know what? Is Ryan Reynolds? He has the right to. Um, 42nd Street, directed by Lloyd Bacon, written by Ryan James, James Seymour, James Seymour, Whitney Bolton, and Bradford Ropes, starring Warner Baxter, B.B. Daniels, and George Brent. This movie was nominated for picture and sound. It won no awards. A director puts on what may be his last Broadway show, and at the last moment, a naive newcomer newcomer has to replace the star. Um, I found this movie oddly dull and dated, but the last ten minutes are good. See, I find I found this movie oddly dull and dated, but the first ten minutes were good. Oh, all right, and then it went and then it went downhill after that. Yeah, and then like the last and. Uh, because like this year I really procrastinated on. So I'm watching this movie last night at like midnight because I have to watch like one more movie mm-hmm. just because of the time frame. So I'm watching it last night at midnight. It's only an hour and a half. So I started at like say 11 or 10 30 mm-hmm. and I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting tired. I want to finish this. And the last 15 minutes is just the show that they're putting on. I'm That's like, this right. movie could have been 15 minutes shorter. You're right. Oh, you know, it's Ginger Rogers, too. I knew I missed somebody when I was saying what who this movie, like, I knew I missed somebody important. But anyway, yes, please continue. Yeah. So this movie could have been 15 minutes shorter because I didn't need to see the songs and dance done in the show. There's no story afterwards. Like, it, they do the show and then the movie ends. This isn't like the producer's where you see the audience react to the show they're putting on, and then there's still more story to tell. That's right, except you see the director or the producer, I can't even remember, at the end, just like sitting on the stairway like, phew, I did it. Good job, me. I'm just going to sit here quietly and be quiet and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Not needed. No, it wasn't. I will say that B.B. Daniels was hilarious. You know, the one where she like, you know, like she hit her head and she falls down like that. whole Like, I thought she was really good. And anytime she was on screen, I was interested in what was happening. Like, how dare you take my part? And, you know, it comes in on crutches (laughs) and all that stuff like that. That stuff, I think, was that stuff was really funny. So it does have its moments where it's like uh, this is genuinely funny stuff. And then it just like dips back into like, whew, it's still on, huh? All right. What time is it? Wow. This 20, 20 minutes going, in, huh? Cool. Cool. Yep. Cool. 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 Um, so, yeah. Also, I thought it was more of a, I thought it was going to be more of a musical because there is 
a Forty Second um, Street musical. musical. That is correct. Yeah, there is a musical Which, based off of this. Yes, I thought this. Um, was, I, I, I'm with you. I didn't know the musical was based on the movie. I thought it was reverse. Yeah, so I was right. expecting a musical, and I'm like, Yo, where's the music? What is happening? <laughs> oh, it's in the last ten minutes. Yeah. Oh, no. okay. Yeah. It would be like going into like wa- it's almost like watching Amadeus and being like I can't wait to watch this concert of Mozart and you're like, "Wait, where's <laughs> where's the heck? Wait, oh, that's it, huh? Just those those couple of scenes, huh? Okay. Why, why are we trying to figure out who killed him? Cool. Yeah, that's that's not part of any of his operas that I know about. Anyway, give me some fun facts on 42nd Street cuz I'm already out of things to say about it. Lyrics in the Shuffle Off to Buffalo song reference that someone named Winchell will know when the couple becomes pregnant. This is a reference to Walter Winchell, the first syndicated gossip columnist in the U.S. Oh, well, there you go. I actually knew that name from something, not this. Walter. I'll Uh, read my name in Winchell's column. It's from the producers. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. Yes. It's all coming Essentially together. Essentially produces his 42nd Street, only done better. Only way better. I just watched yeah. that movie last week, I think. The regular movie or the, the musical? musical the musical. Oh, I, I love the musical version I, so much. I do too. I don't love the movie. I love the musical. The movie does an okay job, but a lot of the jokes are really meant for the stage. And they, yes. so they don't – some of them don't translate well on film. But – it's always fun to watch Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. They're just a delight. I would say if you, because you saw it on stage, right? A couple times, yeah. Yeah, so I think if you hadn't, it's fine because I didn't, I didn't see it on stage until I saw the the musical in the movie, and I thought it was just like from beginning to end. Like I don't think there was ever a second I wasn't laughing. Oh, that's good. Okay, that's great. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, if it ever rolls around, we're definitely going to see the producers, though. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Henry B. Uh, Walthall originally had a large role, including a key scene in which he died on stage during rehearsals. Almost all of his scenes ended up on the cutting room floor and in the movie Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. In the finale, dancers on stage pass a store named Retkers. It was named after Warner Brothers art director Hugh Redeker, who labored at the studio for two decades, but did not get screen recognition until two years after this film was made. It's likely he had a hand in designing this set as well. Wow. Fancy pants. Wow, two decades. Good for him. That's a lot of decades. A whole two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Some would say that's 20 years. Some would say. Some would say she has two. Smiling Through, directed by Sidney Franklin, based on the play by Jane Cowell and Jane Murfin. Um, screenplay by Ernest Vajja, Claudine West, and Donald Ogden Stewart, who I don't know is I don't know if he is the um is if he's related to the other famous Ogden, because you know, you don't see that name. Probably not. No, probably not, but you don't see that name too often. Um Starring Norma Shear, Frederick March, and Leslie Howard. This movie was nominated for Best Picture in won zero awards. Uh, it's about an adoptive father of a young woman uh, who is horrif- horrified to learn that she plans to marry the son of the man who accidentally killed her aunt years before. Um, so basically, the adoptive father was going to marry this woman. Somebody kills her. And then... The the girl he adopts falls in love with the son of the murderer. 
Right. Yeah. This is a love story with ghosts. Yeah, and Norma Shear plays both parts, right? Because he's like she basically the the girl that's oh, adopted. She? Yeah, she's both. Yeah, she she plays the the fiance that dies, and then right. she plays the the young daughter with different hair color. Yeah, yeah. The niece. The niece. Uh, <laughs> I loved this movie. Like I was, I was a little surprised that it. I was a little surprised that it didn't win anything. I thought the the story was good. The acting was solid. It actually kept me. It kept me interested, which is, you know, when you watch a lot of, when you watch a lot of movies in a very short succession, like it takes a lot to to kind of do that in the format yeah. that we have to, to that we watch these for the show. And I I was I was invested pretty much the whole time. So, um, I still think Leslie Howard looked way too old for the part. Like that seems to be a thing for Leslie Howard. Yes, looking old for the part. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. he he was wearing old age makeup. No, I meant even before that. Oh, sure. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, like he, when was, he was supposed to he be was young. Not... Like, you still look like you're 40. I know. I was like, oh, so you're getting married when you're older, huh? And you're like, no, I'm supposed to be 18. No. 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 Get out of here. I I better never see you try and do that again four years later as Gone with the Wind. Yeah, like, oh. Yeah, he's kind of – he reached a point where he was ageless and just stopped aging it like yeah he his, just got there really his rapidly. age <laughs> caught up to how he looked yeah yeah so yeah kind of like uh, um somebody maggie maggie smith's a good example of that you know this is true like she stopped aging in the 90s that's right yep she stopped aging in the 90s 30 years ago and like now yeah. she's like now she's like just catching up to herself again <laughs> um so anyway uh, yeah i enjoyed it yeah for a movie called Smiling Through, I don't think this movie was all that happy. No, I think it was supposed to be <laughs> ironic. You know, like, smiling through the pain. That's, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, I liked it. It was good. I liked the story, um, even though it has the worst doctor. The I worst, think, the worst and, doctor. Yeah, yeah. Like, the guy dies in front of him, and he's like, ah, you're asleep. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you won't. <laughs> No, and he's no. Like, yes, I will. No, you won't. No, you won't. Uh, but I did enjoy. I did enjoy the love story. I knew you would. Aren't you proud of me that I enjoyed the love I story? Kind of, I, I, I am a little. Um, I did enjoy. <laughs> I did enjoy the love story. I enjoyed the flashback. After the flashback, though, I feel the movie just grinds to kind of a halt until the end. Yeah, I don't think it I don't I didn't feel that it grinds to a halt, but like I didn't read what the movie was about before I watched it. And so like when she get when she's shot and and dies at the wedding, I'm like, holy moly, like this movie like this movie took a turn. Like, whoa. Well you knew she died. I knew she died, but I mean, like people because, died like, for. That's a, in the first scene of the movie. Sure, but people die for lots of reasons, you know. Like I didn't expect her to get shot at her wedding. Like that was. And I mean, she was in a wedding dress. I know. That's how. That's why she's a go. Yeah, that's why I didn't understand she was going to get shot. However, as the, as the um, father, as the flashback is being told. I, started, I knew it started with an F, though. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, as the flashback is being told, I kind of saw where it was going and that was because of the clues you're given when they break into the mansion and she's like oh look there's this invitation to a wedding and it's all crumpled up you know although it's weird that she didn't recognize her uncle's name 
It was crumply. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't written on the envelope. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, yeah. Like, I, I enjoyed it. I don't think that it's like... I can see... It's not great. It's not... Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's great in comparison to a lot of the films that we watched. Um, that is great in comparison to a lot of the films that we watched here. Um, but I... I think I'm just I give it credit for like just for keeping me keeping me interested. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You're next. Frederick March commented to his first cousin, Catherine Davis, about working with Norma Shearer that yes, she was a great actress, professional, etc., but could be difficult because she constantly expected perfection. When Davis asked what that specifically meant, Mark said she has. She was never satisfied. Kept having us to do take after take. Pausing, he continued unabashed. Especially our love scenes. She always wanted to redo all the love scenes several times. Davis wanted to ask why he supposed Shira always wanted to retake the love scenes in particular, but thought better of it and kept silent. She liked kissing. Yep. Yep. Cinematographer Lee Garms left during production, and Charles G. Clark took over, but did not receive screen credit. Lame. Based on a play of the same title that opened on Broadway at the Broadhurst Theater on December 30th, 1919, and ran for 175 performances. Wow, that's a lot of performances. Yeah. Is it, though? Well, I mean, it's half a year, so yeah, it's almost 180 days. So you yeah. figure they take it. They have to take a break. You know they don't. So like they don't go season. every day. So yeah, I, that's still pretty good in the depression, though. Don't forget. You know. Yeah, but this was all people cared about in the depression. Yeah, it's not like what they could afford to go. Mm. You know, that's what Forty Second Street is about. Didn't you watch the movie? I did. You forgot that bit. Anyway. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was three, right? That was. Cool. She Done Him Wrong, directed by Lowell Sherman, written by Mae West, Harvey F. Thu, and John Bright, starring Mae West, Cary Grant, and Owen Moore. This movie was nominated for Best Picture and won zero awards. Story is about uh, in the late 1890s, otherwise known as the gay 90s, a seductive nightclub singer contends with several suitors, including a jealous escaped convict and a handsome temperance league member. Uh, Mae West, doing her best Bette Midler impression throughout the film, uh, I think does a great job. I thought it was enjoyable, but it wasn't anything special. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's exactly it. Mae West, the reason to watch this is Mae West. The yes. rest of the movie is just kind of paint by the numbers, run of the mill, somewhat forgettable, doesn't really stick out from a crowd. Nope, nope, it really doesn't do any of those things. But I thought Mae West was hilarious. She was great. Oh, yeah, she's great. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, she, you know she's, she's always really good. good. That's the you know, yeah. only... So, but that was it. But really, like, her character was, like, Bette Midler. That's all I could think of while I was watching the movie. I mean, Bette Midler is essentially Mae West. Yeah. I, yeah. She, Mae West did come first. Like, it made me want to see, like... You know how, like, you know, like, fan casting, you know, like, oh, what if this yeah. movie was made in the 1930s? Yeah. I'm like, I want Hocus Pocus starring Mae West. I want uh, the First think... Wives Club starring Mae West. I think we had those. Yeah, probably. I'm probably not the First Wives Club. 
but maybe Hocus Pocus. Probably not. Probably yeah. not. No. Um, yeah, like I said, this, like, I don't really have anything to say about it. No, it's like, it was really nothing. No, it's not. It's a very short movie. It's one. Yeah. It's an, it's like an hour and six minutes or something like that. It's so short, but not only that, like it's stuff to the difference between like, like a movie and a film, like entertainment and an art is like how much you can dive into it. It's depth of material. It's ambiguity. It's subtext. It's all these things. She done None him wrong. She done him wrong. Don't have that. Nope. Nope. It is just a movie. Just, all the scenes are done is to move Mae West from one, from one place to another. Literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The National Legion of Decency was formed in October of 1933, six months after the release of this film. Legion officials cited Mae West in the film as one of the major reasons for the necessity of the organization. Wow. Really? At 66 minutes, this is the shortest movie to ever receive an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture. Hmm. During its first run engagement in New York, Mae West actually appeared on stage in scenes from the film opposite George Medex and sang several of the songs featured in the film. This formed this formed part of a special prologue. These were popular at the time, aimed at promoting major films, and the technique was used as a major plot device in the same year's big-budgeted musical Footlight Par- Parade from Warner Brothers. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. Did we watch that? No. Hmm. Hmm. Well, okay. Never mind then. Okay. That's three. Cool. Oh, great. Uh, State Fair. Our State Fair is a great State Fair. Don't miss it. Except for this movie. Directed by Henry King. Written by Sonia Levine. Paul Green. Based on a novel by Philip Strong. Starring Janet Gaymore, Will Rogers, and Lou Aries. Nominated for Best Picture and Adapted Screenplay for some reason. It's won zero awards for good reason. An Iowa family finds adventure, love, and heartbreak when they spend a week at the state fair. All I can say is that this movie is... I didn't think I could be... I saw the... I've seen the musical. I've seen it live on stage. And I didn't think that I... It's a different movie. It's not. Believe me. I... Well, sort of. Um, There's no music in this one. And I was like, oh, at least I've seen it and there will be music. And then I saw this movie and it wasn't even the musical. And I said, I didn't think I could be more bored after watching the musical, but I was wrong. At least that one had music. Yeah. This was so boring. This movie, and I felt this way also with uh, Cavalcade and maybe one other movie. This movie is like the epitome of 1930s. Hey, we can do moving pictures. Yeah, that's a, that is good. We can like, we can show depth reason. of field. Like, good look all the way down the track. Amazing. Yeah, like look at these moving pictures, and like that's enough to get people to come and watch it. Uh, it reminds me of. It reminds me, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember the line fully, but it reminds me of Jeffrey Rush's. Um, line from Shakespeare in Love where he's like, just give the people what they want. A few laughs, a bit with a dog and you're good. Yeah, that's that's basically what this movie like, is, except it's a like few laughs, a bit with cinema. a pig and you're good. 
Like, 1930 cinema is like, few laughs, throw in a song, call it a day. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how good the film is. Like, people come see it. Yeah. I This, this felt to me like it was comfort food for those in the Depression. If, if, if Who couldn't see it? Who couldn't see it. You know, like, we can't afford a real state fair, so let's see this state fair. <laughs> you know, something like that. But... It does not. I don't understand why this was successful enough to make a like a musical out of it, which then like made another movie, and then I just like it just goes and goes and goes. So yeah. I'm I'm way past talking about State Fair yeah. already. I'm over it. <laughs> Director Henry King and crew were invited to the 1932 State Fair and Exposition in Des Moines, Iowa, to film background material, including the racing scenes in Midway. After the fair, they purchased three hogs, including the grand champion, Deke of Rosedale, who was cast as Blue Boy. Wow, that was your first fun fact, huh? Yep. They're only going downhill from here. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Kind of. When Fox released the 1962 remake of State Fair, the studio ceased further distribution of the earlier versions so as not to compete with the remake's box office take. The 1933 film disappeared entirely for for decades, not to be seen again until the 1990s. The 1945 version turned up on television with a new title, It Happened One Summer, again to minimize confusion, as the 1962 was also leased to local television stations. Wow. Should have stayed buried. (laughs) Made during Hollywood's pre-code era, this version of State Fair explicitly depicts the moment Wayne loses his virginity to Emily in the scene where she disrobes in his presence and emerges wearing only an enticing robe on the back of which is an embroidered butterfly. Heavy symbolism indeed. Later versions of the film could only suggest this integral plot. Oh yes. She emerged from her cocoon and now she is a butterfly. Ah, I think woman is what they were going for. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got it. I understand. Right. I understand symbolism. I'm a teacher. I don't. I don't think you do. Mm. Do don't I? No. Little Women, directed by George Cukor, written by Louise May Alcott, Cucor. the the novel, um, uh, adapted for the screen by Sarah Y. Mason and Victor Hierman, starring Catherine Hepburn, Joan Bennett, Paul Lucas, Francis D. Jean Parker. Edna May Oliver, Douglas Montgomery, and Henry Stevenson. This movie was nominated for Best Picture and Director. It won Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, if you don't know the story of Little Women, it is the chronicle of the lives of a group of sisters growing up in 19th century Concord, um, Massachusetts. Um, Conquered America. Conquered, I almost said Conquered America, but I decided to go with the state instead. Um, <laughs> Concord, Massachusetts in the United States of America. Uh, I love the story of Little Women. I've read the book. I got engaged at the Real House. Um, I've seen both movie, both the newest movies, the '90s and the the one from 2019. Yeah, 2019. Numerous times. It's wonderful. It's one of my favorite stories. I did not care for this adaptation. Yeah, I feel this version. The sisters. They don't have any. They don't have any differences. Like it's very tough to tell any of the women apart. Mm-hmm. And 
like I wasn't big. I really liked the the newest version of Little Women. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was done very well. The only thing I kind of dinged it for was I just didn't quite understand how the story seemed to to really resonate so much throughout the time. Just because I know it's been like remade to death. And so I just never, I never caught on to like how the story resonates through time. Oh, so but, you mean you personally, it the story doesn't right, resonate like with you? I got you. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, like that, just, like I didn't knock the movie for it. I don't knock the, any of the the storytelling for it. It's just not a like I don't feel personally in depth with the characters. Yeah, that makes sense. But after I, watching this, I have so much more respect for the new version because I actually could differentiate the characters. And cared. And in this one, like, aside from Catherine Hepburn, no one else seems to have a different personality. No, I agree. And what what is striking about Little Women in the first place and why it resonates with people is because of the sisters' relationships and their and their differences and like and what it's like for each of them and their respective paths for growing up and what they, they're hoping for out of life and like how life treats them and gets them down or brings them up and all this stuff. And it actually is quite intricate and most of it is based off of Louisa uh Louise May Alcott's life. And her relationship with her family and growing up in Concord and all this stuff. And so her father is actually the inventor of recess. Fun fact. So, like, you go to recess. Uh, peanut butter cups? Uh, no, 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 no. Like, school recess. Like, you go out after lunch and take a recess, like, when you're in elementary school. Her father created recess. That's the reason school systems have it is because of him. Huh. Isn't that crazy? I know. So, but... um. Yeah, so I mean, she's she's important to transcendentalism as was her father, and I could keep going and all this stuff. But this movie kind of ignores all of the things that I just said. I mean, her father creating recess really isn't important to Little Women, but like it's it's really not about the relationship between the sisters. It's really more about Joe saying Christopher Columbus as an exclamation as many times as she can before the end of the film. Um, yes, and how back in the '30s, apparently we were giving, we were giving baskets of get well kittens to people who were sick, and that is something that I think we as America should go back to. <laughs> that is my platform of running for president. <laughs> um, it it would it would really be, it it would really be the 1800s that people were doing that, not the 1930s. A chicken in every pot, a car in every garage, and a kitten basket for every sick person. Huh, interesting. You said chicken in every pot. That reminded me that I saw a chicken on the side of the highway today, just like as I was driving along. It was literally just on, like, in the grass in the median, just, like, plucking, like, nobody, like, didn't care that cars were driving by over was 60 an, miles an hour. Was it a hour. chicken or was it a turkey? It was a chicken. I do know the okay. difference. I was just going to say, like, well, I mean... They actually look quite different. I've seen <laughs> yeah. turkeys enough. Oh sure, yeah, turkeys are everywhere. Me too. They're everywhere. But yeah, it was it was an honest to god chicken, like a hen, mm. just plucking along. It was so strange. Well, you do live out in the farmland. So. It was in Massachusetts that I saw it. Mm, I don't think it was. No, it definitely was. Yeah, it was on. Was on. Was I on ninety five? Yeah, it was on ninety five. Yeah. Hmm. 
right. Yeah, crazy. So anyway, uh, yeah, this one's just okay. And I think everybody is way too old for their role. And they try and – See, I just – I mean Catherine Hepburn is obviously too old for her role. Yes, and everybody was kind of the same age. She was 34 and she's supposed to be playing somebody like – Almost 20, like 15, 20 years younger than what she was at the start of the film. And yeah, it was just, it just didn't work because they like tried to make them younger through their, um, they tried to make them younger through their makeup. So it really only worked by the end of the film when they were basically like kind of the age they were supposed to be. And even then they were a little too old. So yeah, I I do think that they actually, I they nailed the house though. Like I like the the Al, the actual Alcott house is really well done. Like I said, I got engaged there. I've been a bunch of times, go on a tour, blah blah blah. Been on a tour a bunch of times, uh, and it is the house. Like the furniture, the layout, what room flow, you know, what room flows into which one. It's it that part was well done i appreciate i appreciated that because for a movie that was filmed in la it does look a lot like um it does look a lot like 18th century conquered mm-hmm. yeah that's about it okay. <clears throat> costume designer walter plunkett was forced to rapidly redesign Joan Benet's costumes in order to disguise her advancing pregnancy, something that she has hidden from George Cukor at the time of her casting. Well, why would oh, I guess you wouldn't get the part if... Yeah. Original release prints of this film had hand coloring done by Gustav Brock. Unfortunately, they're, this is, are not replicated in the prints used for DVD release or TMC broadcasts. Hmm. TCM broadcasts. Yeah, TMC. Can you imagine TMC <laughs> putting this on? The interior of the Marks home was filmed at the real Massachusetts home of Louisa May Alcott. Hmm. Wait, say no, that one more just, time. It was just modeled. <laughs> I said it was filmed at the real house of... Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't. I looked it up. It's all L.A. Ah, sure it is. It is. I know it is. Believe me. Why don't you believe me? Because you lie so often. That's not true. That's impossible. Anyway, are you done? Was that three? Yeah. Great. Lady for a Day, directed by Frank Capra, written by Robert Riskin, and based on the story by Damon Runyon, starring Warren William, Mae Robson, Guy Kibbe. Nominated for Best Picture, Actor, Actress for Robson, Director, and Adapted Screenplay. This movie won zero awards. The movie's about a gangster who tries to make Apple Annie, the Times Square Apple seller, a lady for a day. Basically, she's lied to her daughter who's living overseas that she, you know, is doing okay and she's affluent and all this stuff. And her daughter's like, oh, by the way, I'm marrying the, I'm marrying into royalty and I'm, Coming home the to see mom, basically, yeah. And coming home to see mom, and so she's got to pretend to be she's got to pretend to be affluent and wealthy. Um, it's a movie. I thought like that was kind of like by the end of it, I was like, I watched a movie. Oh, I really like this movie. Yeah, it, I found it neither good nor bad. I thought everybody was. I thought the whole thing was serviceable. It all worked. It was. It was fine. I don't like yeah. it. Just like it just is. It didn't capture me 
in any particular way, but it, it, yeah, it didn't this... really bore me or it didn't make, really make me feel anything. It was just a movie. Yeah. The, you're right. The story doesn't really stand out. The writing is is fine. But I think everybody does a really good job at playing their parts. Yeah, that's that's true. I think this, the, that's this is what, the, that's what made the movie really enjoyable for me. This is the genius of Frank Capra, where he can just take a movie that like shouldn't work or could be terrible, and even if there's really nothing going for it, he can turn out a movie that's like, hey, I that was I watched it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would put this up there with Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or – It's a Wonderful uh, Life. Or It's a Wonderful Life. But it, I would definitely put it above a lot of movies around this time. Yeah, many, and many of the ones that we just watched. Yeah. Many of the ones that we just watched. Um, I thought the person who played the judge was hilarious. Apple Annie was really good, although she was a little annoying at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, I will say I think the – the worst part of this movie is up until they kind of figure out what they're going to do. The whole beginning is a very – can be a slog and and very difficult, not necessarily to watch, but to really get invested in. Mm, yes, I definitely agree with that. It It took up until the time her daughter shows up to really feel a, a, a definite kind of investment. But mm -hmm. that's fine. Uh, if you don't have anything more to add, I'm happy to go so, to f some fun facts. Okay. When Frank Capra was nominated for his first Best Picture Director Oscar in 1934 for his work on this movie, presenter Will Rogers merely opened the envelope and said, Come and get it, Frank. Already halfway to the stage, Capra realized that Rogers wasn't referring to him, but to Frank Lloyd, who was getting the award for Cavalcade. Ugh. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> and it has become a proud Oscar tradition. Come and get it, La La Land. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that was on him. Yeah, it totally was. Yeah, there was more There was more Franks. Yeah. At this point, Columbia Pictures was still a poverty row operation with studio chief Harry Cohn adamant against hiring actors in the long-term contracts. The cast of this film was largely obtained on loan from Warner Brothers' pool of talented character actors. Warren William was at the peak of his career, and being loaned out to lowly Columbia was meant to humble any thoughts of greater salary demands. Although his career would wane in the mid-30s, this film was a big hit. Hmm. Okay. In a pre-code moment... May Robson as Apple Annie admits she was never married. By 1934, this sort of unwed mother revelation would never be allowed in a Hollywood film. Mm. Totally. Yep. Totally. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Uh, last movie, Best Picture winner, Cavalcade, directed by Frank Lloyd, written by Reginald Berkeley, starring Diana Wittard, Clive Brook, and Una O'Connor. This movie won Best uh, nominated for Best Actress for Winnard, won Best Picture, Director, and Art Direction. It's about the portrayal of the triumphs and tragedies of two English families, the Upper Crust Mar Marriotts and the Working Class Bridges from 1899 to 1933. Um, this was the first movie I watched in this lineup, so it was quite a while ago now. I didn't know it had won Best Picture when I watched it. Normally, I save it to the end, but for some reason, I was just like, oh, because this one's on YouTube. So I was like, I'm going to do right. the, the ones on YouTube first. Uh, right. I, really, I really liked it. I, But uh, truthfully, 
I because I wrote on YouTube really good. That's like my comment for the movie, so I would remember that I watched it and that I liked it. Good job. But I don't remember anything about this movie that I watched except for the World War One montage, which I thought like the whole war montage, which I thought was really well done as far that as montages was. go. Yeah. I thought that I thought that, that was very good. That was well done. I will say. I can sum up this movie in just like a sentence or two. This is the Cliff Notes version of the early 1900s. Yes, that's very good. That's exactly what this and, was. And specifically, this is the Cliff Notes version of the early 1900s in in England because that's all it really appears to. You have the war in England before World War One, you have the Queen dying, you have World War One, you have the Titanic sinking, boom! Like that's the movie. Like it's it's. I don't want to say vignettes. It's chapters of a of a family's life that then skip whole years where nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. That being said, I didn't like it. And I didn't like it because I was kind of already forgetting this movie as I was watching it. Yeah, really. Well, like I said, I I liked it, and yeah, which is I mean, it's fine. Like if it's your cup of tea, it's your cup of tea. Um, but you would like you had saw this before I did because I started with Lady uh, Lady for a day, and you're like Cavalcade is essentially Downton Abbey. No, yeah. Downton Abbey is a lot better. No, it definitely is, but it's like it's basically your upstairs, downstairs. Like we're this, of, this is how yeah. we're upper class, lower class. This is how we're being affected by the sweeping by changes going. into right. the twentieth century. I definitely blah, blah, blah. see the yeah. I definitely see how you link the two. Yeah, I but mean, I think I think the difference is this movie doesn't give any sort of space and time to the events happening where Downton Abbey obviously can dedicate whole episodes. Sure. It's, yeah, it's, you know, seasons and seasons of Downton Abbey. And I think part of the reason that I connected those in my head is because I'm, my wife and I are rewatching Downton Abbey right now. So it was, um, well, you'd started it after you watched this. I had started watching Downton Abbey after I watched this. I don't yeah. think so. I, I thought that was actually why you started rewatching Downton Abbey. No, she and I had talked. Because you were about... like, I want to see this version, but done good. Oh yeah, no, no, no. We um we had talked about because we tried a bunch of different shows and like none of them were doing it for us, and so we were like, let's just rewatch Downton Abbey because I'll feel better about the the fairy tale life that these people lead, even though people die and go to prison. I was like, say, it's... will you? Because that first season. It's not the it's not season. it's not the second it's the second season second and third season. It's the first one's still pretty fairy tale, but um um no, no but the even first one even at with the, even at the even at the like the Downton's worst times and like it's like this gut wrenching whatever. It's still like this like magical world where you'd want to go and live like you yeah because Mary's be, there yeah sure right yeah exactly oh no not my not my wife I understand no not you. your wife yeah who is I forgot also how terrible I forgot how terrible she was in the first season. How dare you like sir. like she tempers as the show goes on but she is no. mean there's in the first only season. one bad sister and that's the middle one that's that they pick on her so much like literally everybody she, she is the wet noodle of the family and yeah. nobody is there she is the beg get... of their of the family she she, she yeah she gets 
No, she gets no respect from anybody. Her mother, her grandmother, her sister. It's so bad. But, oh, goodness. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Downton Abbey. We're here to talk about uh, Downton Abbey 1933, otherwise known as Cavalcade. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I very much enjoyed it. I can understand why it won Best Picture. Here it is, like, talking about the sweeping changes of of everything into the 20th century, and people go, oh, my gosh, that is what we lived through. We li- we did that do that. That is what happened last week. That is what ha- – that's literally what it is. Like, that is what <laughs> happened in my life in the last 30 years. Wow. I can't believe they captured that on the big screen. And they're talking about different classes and, oh, the war. It was just like that. I remember it being all montage and stuff like that. It was just <laughs> like that. Perfect representation. It was set to music. I remember being on the Titanic and hearing, nearer my God to thee. Oh, my gosh. Like, when we was on the Titanic scene, like, you knew it was the Titanic before it was like – Man, we have the rest of our lives to to do this and be in love and all this stuff. Oh, you're hands dead. down to the yep. HMS Titanic. Is that I even even before they did that? Like you started hearing "Near My God" to thee. Like we have the rest of our lives, and you hear the song playing. Like, wait, is that "Near My God"? Oh, they're on the Titanic. Oh, there <laughs> they are. Oh, they're all dead. Yep. Sorry, folks. Yeah, I. But like, I I, I quite enjoyed this movie. I I um. Yeah, it's maybe not – it's certainly not the best – like if we had to line up all the best pictures that have won through through these years, like it, – It would be it, in the top 400. It would be in the top 400. It sure would. Yeah, but <laughs> – uh, Yes, I'm glad that – I'm glad we watched that. I'm glad I talked about that movie early with you so we could make that joke through this whole episode. Yeah. Um, um, I, think, I think this is a movie that – there's going to be very few people who are like, eh, it's an okay movie. I think you're either going to like it or you're going to hate it. And you could make the argument that both points of view are for the same reasons. Yep. Yep. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah. This is a take it. This is a take it or leave it kind of film. But you know yep. what? That's fine. It it definitely. Take me, baby, it, or leave me. me. Give me some fun facts right now. In one of the many chapters presented in the film, there's a section dedicated to the sinking of the Titanic. Not really, but okay. Cavalcade and the Titanic, directed by James Cameron, have a significant amount in common. Both won Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Art Direction. Both were produced by Fox, and both featured a scene on the ill-fated ship where the background music was Jalman Strauss's The Blue Danube. Johann Strauss's The Blue Danube. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I didn't even read that entire uh, fun fact when I picked it. I just saw the word Titanic and was like, yep, we're adding that. <laughs> the film was prominently features – this film, which prominently features the Titanic, began its general release on April fifteenth, 1933, in conjunction with the 21st anniversary of the ship sinking. Slash my uncle's birthday. Your uncle was born the day of the Titanic song? Mm-hmm. Yep. Your uncle is very unlucky. He is. Well, I was mean, he born on the Titanic? He sure wasn't. No. Oh, okay. He was born 40, 40 plus years after it sank. Oh, well. That's less interesting. Yeah. But I, it helps me remember both. <laughs> it helps me remember it both days, It helps you remember though. when the Titanic Yeah, it helps me remember when sunk. the Titanic sank, and um, it's my uncle's birthday. Double. Also, um... Also, that is the same day – actually, the same day the Titanic sank, uh, Fenway Park opened. 
Really? I'm I'm almost positive it's the same exact day. Wow, a day that will live in infamy, or yeah. just for me, either one. <laughs> yeah, um, I know it was very close to it, but I'm almost positive opening day for Fenway Park. The first game played at Fenway Park was the same day the Titanic sank, Ugh. or at least the same, like the day the news broke or whatever. Crazy, crazy pants. Yeah, Cavalcade had become a stage legend by the time the film version was released in 1933. With a cast of hundreds and five hydraulic stages used to depict the march of time, the scope and expense of the stage version at London's Dreary Lane Theatre was so enormous that it could not easily be replicated elsewhere, which explains why it never came to Broadway and has had no presence in regional film in regional theaters on either continent. The film then was highly anticipated by audiences unable to see the stage production and the rapturous reviews and box office receipts led to a victorious night at the Academy Awards. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Actually, I can I can see all I, of that happening. As much as I would never want to see this movie again, the fact that there is hydraulics for a stage play, I kind of want to see that stage play. Uh, yeah, me too. Do it up. Come on. Like how do you, world how War do One's you do back, the, everybody. Let's let's do how it. How do you do Revival. the World War One montage? Hydraulics. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the answer. I still want to see Warhorse on stage because it's literally just a guy with like a rodeo uh I forget what like almost like a mechanical bull style horse. It, on stage. Is it Warhorse that does that or is it Equus that does that? Warhorse. Okay. I mean, Equus might do it too, but I just remember, like, back when, um, back when that that company that does like the Fathom events, mm-hmm. back when like Fathom events was just really starting, like that was one of the first like stage shows that they kind of showed. So I remember seeing that. I remember seeing that on their commercial loop, where it was just like a guy like riding. Like a saddle, like a mechanical saddle, as like fireworks were going off behind him. And I'm like, I want to see this stage show. I want show to see this. Because I like the movie and I want to know how you do this as a stage show. I always love that's the fun of stage shows. You know, it's like magic. Like, how did you do that? I want to know. How um, does the phantom escape at the end? Yeah. No one knows. No one knows. Because you, it's magic. It's, it's like the prestige. She drops down a hole and it clones a new phantom. Um, so anyway um before we get to the 1934 um let us talk about that you can find us on academy rewind on twitter and gmail which we don't check so just do twitter which is palmer and myself at timothy pg13 you can rate and review us on itunes and find us all other places podcasts can be found thoughtbubbleaudio.com to check out all other thought bubble audio shows and patreon.com slash audio to support all Thoughtbubble audio programs. Um, not all movies on YouTube, so sometimes we got to pay for them. So, um, so yeah. support is nice. But and that costs money. It sure does. But, you know, whatever uh, you are open and available to, uh, we, are, we welcome it. Palmer, let's do the 1934 Rewindies. Woo! Yay! Supporting actor, supporting actress, production design, costume design, hair, makeup, and styling, music, visual effects, cinematography, editing, sound, actor, actress, writing, best picture. You can only choose 
um, from the films and people involved in the the pictures that we talked about today. Let's start with supporting actor. I'm going to give it to Leslie Howard for smiling through. I am going to give it to. Yeah, Leslie Howard, smiling. Yeah, he was good, wasn't he? He sure was. He was. Um, supporting actress, I'm going to give it to B.B. Daniels for 42nd Street. thought she was delightful. Uh, I am going to give it for Anne of Cleves in The Private Life of Henry VIII. Okay, very good. Production design, I'm going to give to Little Women. Uh, I will give it to Little Women. Costume design, same thing, Little Women. Costume design, I will give it to Lady for a Day. Cool. All right. Makeup and hairstyling, I'm going to give to Cavalcade. Private Life of Henry VIII. Good. Music, She Done Him Wrong. Ooh. Good, good choice. I am going to give it to Little Women. Okay. Very good. It did have nice music. That was Max. That was a Max Steiner score. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it was very good. Um, I actually, I was very close to that one, but I was like, ah, Mae West, you... You get it. This doesn't count anyway, so whatever. Um, visual effects, a cavalcade. Just for the montage. A lot of, <laughs> lot of explosions. A lot of explosions. Um, yeah. 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 That's about it. There wasn't, there wasn't tons of special effects. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cinematography, a farewell to arms. Uh, cinematography, I am going to give to Little Women. Okay. Editing, I'll give to Cavalcade again for the the montage sequence. Yep, Cavalcade. Good. Sound, uh, farewell to arms. Those ambulance sounds just came right at me. <laughs> wee, wee. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it to Cavalcade. Okay. Uh, actor, Charles Lawton for The Private Life of Henry VIII. Yes. Uh, actress, I'm going to give it to Norma Shear for Smiling Through because she played two parts and you didn't even know that. This is true. I'm going to give it to Catherine Hepburn for Little Women because she's the only one I could tell in that entire movie. <laughs> yeah, that's there go. She really stood out, didn't she? Yep. Um, writing, I'm going to give to. This is where I, this is where I got jammed. I was really yeah. like, yeah. How about that? I'm going to give it a smile and through just because I actually enjoyed it. Yeah, I am a fugitive from a chain gang. Okay, good, yeah. Oh, yeah, because the story and stuff that you talked yep. about. Damn. Um, I changed my answer. Uh, <laughs> and uh, best picture I'm going to give to Cavalcade because it it was fine. It was, I enjoyed it. It was good. It was a good musical. Yeah. I'm going to give it to Private Life of Henry VIII. Yeah. The, I think that I wouldn't have cared for that one so much if it wasn't Charles Lawton. So that's where I like kind of drew yeah. the line. Yeah. Uh, I would also – I would also be willing to give it to I Am a Fugitive – from a chain gang and then probably lady for a day. Mm. Um, but I would say those first two, I would, I could pick either one, but, um, I liked private life of Henry VIII just a lot more because of Charles Lawton. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, Palmer, that wraps up the 1934 rewindies. It does. And it wraps up this season. We're moving on to the threes. It does. We're moving on to the threes next. Uh, The following movies we will be watching and talking about for the 2013 Oscars. They are as follows. Argo. Les Miserables. Beasts of the Southern Wild. Life of Pi. Lincoln. Zero Dark Thirty. Django Unchained. Amour. And Silver Linings Playbook. How about a less... 
Uh, no. Amor. Okay. Amor. Um, the only one that I haven't seen is Amor. So it's going to be a, a redo for, for me. Um, cause 2013 was the year that I was like, I'm going to watch all the Oscar movies. It was just around, around there that maybe a couple of years before that. So, um, yeah. I was, so I'm ready to, Good. Uh, I am ready to see all of these films again. Some I've seen more than once already. So, uh, and some I'm not looking forward to seeing again. So like Amor, uh, that's the one I haven't seen at all. So not that one. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, but anyway, Palmer, uh, did you remember that we were supposed to do the fours best of? Of course I did. Of course you didn't. <laughs> I did. I've been thinking about it all day. Yep, you sure have. So, uh, Palmer, I'm going yep. to close this episode out and give us time to think about it. And then I'll just tag it in at the end of this episode after we've been played off. How does that sound? Sounds good. Excellent. Okay, well, this is great because they're actually playing us off. I have some more people to thank. Oh, too bad. Bye. Bye. All right, Palmer, let's do the best of the threes rewindies. Um, so best of the fours. Best of the fours rewindies. I got confused because it was. <laughs> Crap. Now I got to go and redo my entire thing. <laughs> I haven't even watched half of these movies yet. No, I, I, the, the, um, I got confused because we just did 1934. So that's okay. So best of the yeah. fours. Um, and, and so Correct. same categories as the rewindies as always, but we can choose yeah. from any of the films, any of any actresses, actors, you know, any, something like that. So, um, I found this very hard because truthfully, I, I thought the fours were kind of as a season, the movies we watched through the majority of them were kind of mediocre. Like, I think we okay. started strong in 2014 in 2004 and 94 and then and then it started to diminish with each progressive decade and there were some real gems in in some of those yes. decades like you know we got the exorcist and american graffiti and you know when in rome and the sting and you know so there were some there um terms of endearment was good casablanca you know so, so there were some really solid films but then when you start to stack them up against some of the other ones from later in the from later just in the in you know or in the pro, closer to the present it's harder to yeah. justify say like giving the best actress award to somebody from the 40s when that style doesn't, or the, even the writing is, isn't to the caliber of something from twenty four from the twenty fourteen uh, award, so I I struggled a bit with this one. You're really gonna give it to the to the wife from the future. She was you? so good. I was convinced she was dead. Like I like that's acting. <laughs> like I sent her, I sent a note to her agent. Yeah, I was I was really was really in it. <sighs> So, so I, this, I've kind of decided to go, this one, I've kind of decided to go with what I thought had, what I thought had the most lasting legacy. It, okay. If that, if that kind, if that kind of tracks, you know, like maybe it wasn't just, maybe it wasn't just, you know, the best acting or whatever, but what, what seems to what seems to be pretty good and it's not going to all track and it doesn't exactly all play out that way, but you'll see as I go. So let's start with supporting. You'll okay. see, let's start with supporting actor. Um, what did you pick? Supporting actor. Yeah. Uh, my first 
Now I got to go through my list again because my list actually went actress. Oh well, you can just you can do uh, actress first. That's okay. All right, supporting actress Lupita Nyong'o. Oh, for Twelve Years for a 12 Slave. Years a Slave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's great. That's a great choice. She was marvelous in that film. Um, I went with a combo of Linda Blair, Glenda Jackson sharing the role because I think I think The Exorcist has lasting. You see what I mean? Oh, okay. See what I mean? I thought I thought you meant I thought you meant like. Like you were giving it to two different movies. I'm no, like, I'm giving it to okay. Linda Blair, the child who played the put the right. possessed girl in The Exorcist, and Glenda yeah. Jackson, who was the voice of the possessed girl. I'm giving it to both of them. Uh, yeah. And so, just I because mean, of the lasting impact, there's a real legacy to there is, to The and, Exorcist. And I don't, I don't necessarily agree. I don't disagree with your with your opinion, but. So- Actress, really? Well, technically, she's not the star of the movie. That's why. I, that's why okay. I'm going. That's why I went supporting. Um, and and see, but like so, but like so, your choice is Lupita Youngo, who what I think, like truthfully, I think is a a better actress, and maybe even did more with her role. I'm just, I just kind of going where, you know, kind of yes, but I'm I'm going. I picked her because for one, I think. There were other main leads that did better. Also, sure. I went with what she was. I believe she was originally in that category. She was originally in that category. That's correct. So I know we kind of we kind of play fast and loose with that rule here. Um, in some cases, because we have to. But in this case, where there's other where there's other people, I felt like like she was really good in the role, and that was kind of her. That was her role, right? As a as to what the studio says, right? Well, I mean, as people learned from two minutes ago on this very recording, I forgot to do this, and so I had to do this yeah. rather quickly. So I might not <laughs> stick by a lot of these, but um, yep. so. But anyway, so so the supporting actor, supporting actor, I'm going to give it to Ray Fiennes for Schindler's List. Okay, so that's that's a great choice. I don't think it's Ray Fiennes' best performance, but I think that's a great choice. I see. I think it. I think it is yeah. because I. I absolutely detest him in the movie. Oh, sure, yeah, he's the worst. And he's a guy that I really like, so I think I think that really helps. I had thought about Ben Kingsley, and the because I thought about Ben Kingsley because he had won. Yep, yep. But I feel like while the movie's called Schindler's List, I feel like Ben Kingsley kind of shares the main yep i starring i kind i kind of agree with, with that oscar Schindler. i kind of agree with that and so um this one i struggled with too because like in the in the actual episode lineup that we did i gave it to sean astin for return to the king but i don't think sean astin is as good as ben kingsley in in you know schindler's list or or ray fines or anything like that so i'm actually gonna which is fine because it's two different years Right, exactly. He doesn't have to stack in this way. Like, I don't think my original right. choice for those should then become the original choice here. So I'm actually going to go with somebody who did win for the role. I'm going to give it to Tommy Lee Jones for The Fugitive. Um, maybe there's not an emotional range the way that there would be for fines or anything like that. But again, like yeah. he left – Samuel Gerard left an impact on me. Um, in, in the film, and, I think mostly as a child because I saw the film as a kid and watched it a lot yeah. since then. I think part of my personality even has was formed by Samuel yeah. Gerard. I I think, um, and again, I I definitely see your point of view. Tommy Lee Jones is so good in the movie that I think 
you naturally just see him has as the co-lead yeah you know because he does have an arc like he has his supporting actors and actors not all the they don't always have a character arc right. in the film so he really is the, the co-lead of that film but he was you know given the supporting actor part but right which is fine yeah, but i think both choices are, are he, fair and equitable yeah, he has an arc but i think he shares almost as much screen time definitely mm-hmm. as as uh harrison Ford. i agree yeah I agree, okay. but that's yeah, that's that. Uh, production design, Cleopatra. Oh yeah, so because they had to, they had to build it all over again. Yeah, yeah. I that's a that's a great choice. Um, definitely one of the best sets of all time, no question. Uh, I'm going to give it to Return of the King. Um, okay. You know, just you know, twenty years on, it still looks great. Um, in a way that Cleopatra definitely looks like a set. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Lord of the Rings is able to kind of bypass a lot of that, a lot of detail, a lot of, lot of beautifulness. Uh, costume design. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to keep with it. Production design and costume design are usually linked together because they play so well off of one another. So I'm going to give it to Lord of the Rings. A lot of, lot of intricacy in there. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the extras costumes were tailored to them they weren't even like they were tailored to like those particular extras they weren't even just like off the rack like no one will see you in the background kind of background kind of costumes they were like every piece of chain mail that everybody wears no matter who they are in the movie was hand like handmade it's a lot of work I'm going to give it to Cleopatra. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, her increasingly 50s um, clothes as it goes on her ensemble uh, makeup and hairstyling. Uh, Tough, I know. I would tough I, call. I would go with. Um, I would go. With yeah, that's why I went with Schindler's List as well. Yeah. There's an auth- authenticity, a realism to the makeup and hairstyling in Schindler's List. I almost went with costumes. I was really close, just because they're so accurate. It's so. They exact. are, but they're. But it's also there's nothing flashy about. No, there's them. not, and and ac- like props for accuracy, especially within the right. year that it was, especially in the year that it was made. But mm-hmm. the the um, perhaps the amount of uh, labor it's, it was maybe not as labor intensive the same way. Um, you know, period yeah, pieces, fantasies, sci-fi's; those are always the ones that end up winning the, yeah. you know, that out of yep. the box, you know, out of the box stuff. Yeah. The histories are always like the like the almost like the second tier of costume design. Like if we don't have you know a genre, you know, film winning the the costume design or production design, then it goes to the <laughs> histories after that. Um, yeah. uh, music, Music Schindler's List. Yeah, I was close with the Schindler's List, but again, I'm going to give it to Lord of the Rings for for the music. Um, so Schindler's List, I think the, William's main theme is superb. It's excellent. It's haunting. It plays in my head probably more than it should, uh, considering the content of the film. But I think uh, I think Lord of the Rings is, in comparison to other pieces for film, it's closer to an opus. It's actually really more of its own symphony. That stands alongside uh, that stands alongside the film. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to give it to Lord of the Rings for that. Uh, visual effects. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. See, this is I. I was close to with Lord of the. Actually, this is one I struggled with. I'll I'll even bow to like what you think. So, 
Lord of the Rings is a little dated now. Like the the, the visual effects, a lot of them actually don't. A lot of them don't. Uh, they you know looks computer generated. For, for what it did for the industry, you know, it's like all close to Star Wars for what it did for to I, changing the industry. I think I think Gollum still holds. Gollum up. definitely still holds up. Yeah, and that. Is and that is why I give it to Lord you know that's Rings. a that's a great point because I I had thought about like if this was fellowship I probably wouldn't yep give it to good him. point yep good point I had originally thought about the right stuff because I remember watching it I was like a lot of that still looks really good it's very practical effects um, and then I thought about gravity for what it did with you know like swivel cams and like all this different stuff but gravity does look a little dated even just a few years on so and maybe not as important for the industry so i'll stick it with you lord of the rings say i told you this is where it's not fair and equitable when you have schindler's list and lord of the rings which are considered you know in the top 400 films of all time <laughs> um, you know but they're they're usually actually much higher one is closer to the yeah, top they're usually the other, much but... both of them are really high on that list it's like almost unfair to all the other movies that we watched through these decades because they're just they just don't hold they're just they're, they just don't hold the same caliber i mean i've been spreading out my awards. i've been trying the first two i did have you though i did the first two i tried supporting actor and actress are not from lord of the rings yeah. or Schindler's list and visual effects <laughs> i was close i originally had the right stuff but you convinced me otherwise good for you um cinematography Cinematography, I would give it to Cleopatra. For Cleopatra, sure, why not? Uh, I'm giving it to Schindler's List. Uh, uh, you know, I think, I think the the black and whites. You know, um, yeah, it is a very like it works in that movie, um, and it does so without looking like it's a it's a 1930s movie. Like it looks crisp and it still looks modern. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely agree with you that. It's it's a good choice, but like the, the, I, the Cleopatra to me has so much pageantry that I think it kind of gets a lot of the technical awards because of sure. it. Sure, yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, what about editing? Editing, I would give to probably Gravity. Yeah, that's that's where I am too. It's that's yeah. it was tough call. Uh, sound. Sound, I will give it to the right stuff. Oh, you know that's a that's that's fair. I like that. Um, yeah, I had gravity for sound actually, just because like of the way it played with space and movement and stuff like that. So, so that one was gravity for me. What about best actor? Best actor, I am giving it to. Um, Cindy Poitier for Lilies of the Field. Yeah, I, it was close. For the, I really enjoyed his performance in that film. I'm giving it to Chiwell yeah. Gia for Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, oh, okay. So you know, it's a it's a textured performance. It's layered. It's yeah. important. Absolutely. Yeah. So I maintain that I think it's a little slow in the middle. It's just like that. It's just I think that uh, it yeah. feels like a, it. It just be. feels like a disconnected. It did when he he moves from Benedict Cumberbatch to Michael Fassbender. It just feels there's a disconnect in the in the the movement of the film. But I don't think that is a reflective of of his performance at all. Right. I, I, yeah. Uh, what about Best Actress? Songa Bernadette. Oh, I thought she just does a terrific, terrific job, and I am willing to stack up her performance against any of the heavy hitters. 
in the other years. Wow, that's I struggled with this one because I just I, there wasn't tons of standout to me. Like I remember Judy Dench quite fondly from Philomena, um, but maybe as far as lasting legacy goes, like that doesn't strike the same way. Um, so I'm I'll go with you, Song of Bernadette. That's a that's that's good. Why not? Um, what about best writing? Best writing, I would give it to From Here to Eternity. Which one was that one? That was the one with Frank Sinatra as the Italian uh, guy that yes, dies. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. The, no, the, was that the Pearl Harbor one? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But Frank Sinatra played an Italian guy. He died. Yeah, he sure did. None of the things I said were inaccurate. No, they weren't. I just didn't remember what the rest of the movie was around all yeah. that. Just had an image of Frank Sinatra just dying on stage, and I'm like, that's not something that I've ever seen. Um, I, this is a controversial choice that you will not like. I'm going to give it to her. Um, I I know you hate that movie with a fiery, undying so passion. If I we, know, if we did Razzies at the end of every season, mm-hmm. that would. Win. What, what would we call the Razzies? Academies, <laughs> like the fast forwards. Fast forwards. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I wish we had started the uh, uh, the fast forwards. Oh, that's so good. That's going to be the spinoff show when we just review Razzie movies. Oh, God. That's actually pretty good. Copywritten. No one could do it. We said it here first. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, anyway. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it to her. I think it, I wouldn't necessarily call her timeless, but I think like – Isolation, uh, like isolationism, loneliness, reliance on technology, you know, relationship, like the the bigger themes that the film grapples with uh, is something that is pretty prevalent and will continue to be prevalent, maybe in a way that some of the other films from from before just they don't hit home the same way anymore. Um, So I'm going to give it to her Uh, and best picture. Well, we're already done. Yeah. Uh, best picture. Schindler's yeah. List. Yeah, I agree. I think the film's yeah. just too important to ignore. Um, and you know me. I'm ready to give Lord of the Rings the awards for almost anything. You know, I'm like, best ice cream, Lord of the Rings, you know, like whatever. <laughs> um, but I think Schindler's List is just a more important film just a, uh, across the board. Even if it's not something that I would pop on just to sit back and relax, that doesn't that doesn't mean that it shouldn't win the award. It's weird because... We went through pretty much all the major categories, mm-hmm. and neither one of us gave any awards to what might arguably be Casa- the most Casablanca. Yeah, we, yeah to, we didn't give any to Casablanca, mm-hmm. which might be higher in most people's books than uh, Schindler's List. We'll say, yeah, it's possible. I think, I think the, I, I think Casablanca is a is a is a, a very fun. You know, it's a fun noir film. Uh, it's, but it's not written terribly. It's great. not written terribly great. It wasn't meant to be written terribly great. It was a cheap, like, quick make that won a bunch of yeah. that was very popular and won a bunch of awards. Good for all of them. But I really don't think it's not really like the best performance out of anybody. It's not the best costumes or best or best set design or cinematography or anything like that. It's kind of it's it's well made. It's a well made movie. I, you know, Humphrey Bogart is kind of known for film noir, mm-hmm. although I still say um, I liked him in 
the Treasure of Sierra Madre more. Same. Yeah, I think he. I think um, his performance in in Casablanca is a little more famous, just because good. of the. Yeah, but but I think but but I think the Sierra Madre performance is more nuanced. More it's a better yeah, yeah. It's a better film. Um, but I just like it's interesting. Like when you like if if someone went around and kind of ranked the the Academy Award Best Picture movies, I think they would rank Casablanca above. Uh, Schindler's List, but I'm wondering if they're actually comparing the two against each other, and they're just going by what film they would like to rewatch more. Because, like, we had to put them against each other, mm-hmm. and I think if you do it pound for pound, like Schindler's List is the better made movie. Absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes it comes down to just like what you would rather rewatch. Sure. If there's like three or four different movies you would like, I'm not necessarily saying that. You know, Schindler's List, I would rewatch every other week. I'll watch it every couple of years, and I'll be happy to rewatch it. It is a very emotionally draining movie every single time I watch mm-hmm. it. But it doesn't – it won't hinder me from wanting to watch That's it. correct. Like, there are some movies that, are like, I just feel too emotionally drained to see to kind of, to see that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And even – uh, I think Schindler's List is a movie that you should remind yourself of every couple of years. Remind yourself yeah. of the, you know, the terribleness, the torment, the persecution, the death. It's it's something that we, sh- you know, we people say like something happens, like never forget. Yeah, you're damn right, you never forget. That's not just a thing that we say. Yeah. Like you actually shouldn't forget it. And this is this is one of right. those things. Um, and so. Unlike World War One, yeah, for so get, yeah, out, of get out of here, World, World War One, yeah, not really though, you know, everybody, you know, rest in peace, um, you know, heroes. So, um, yeah, so I, but yeah, there's something about Schindler's List that it, it's there's a lot of things about Schindler's List that that it deserves the best pictures of the um, best picture of the fours Rewindies. So yep. there we good. Um, but um, Palmer, they're playing us off again, even though we snuck on. <laughs> No, I have someone on my people. Oh, too bad you lost again. Bye. Bye.